I got it. Looks pretty good, Tom. I have a place to fall if I trip over that. So, <coughs> I know I, um, just an update, because I had a lot of people asking me this morning, uh, last time I was up here, I believe, I mentioned to you that I uh, had an accident on Christmas Day, and uh, uh, it's a long story, but uh, I go back into surgery on Tuesday, so if you would, I would appreciate you praying for that. They're going into my eye with a camera and scissors and, and a, suction a suction thing, and, and I get to be awake. And so, um, but it's just to clean up my eye so that it can heal better, and uh, hopefully by June I can, I can get a new lens uh, that came out of my eye in my accident, and I won't have to have Tom clear off that side of the, the stage. But, you know, this is a pretty relaxed body of believers. Um, at least Tom appeared to be pretty relaxed <laughs> up here. Uh, and, that's, and that's good because, you know, one thing that marks uh, a true believer is the confidence that they have in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's basically the, the, the lesson that we're going to be looking at here this morning, the, the message uh, is titled, Speaking the Truth in Love, because we're going to be taking a look at what Jesus says is the most important thing in order to inherit eternal life. And it's found in Mark chapter 10. If you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, follow along, it's in Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're looking at verses 17 through 31. But as you go through here, I want you to keep, you know, in the back of your mind, this is a lesson about love. Last time I was up here, it was a lesson about faith. This is a lesson about love. And this is a very interesting passage of Scripture. It's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorites because it, it really... Uh, zeroes in on something here, but it's also one that's easily under, misunderstood. So let's pray and ask God to maybe bring some clarity for us. Father, you know exactly what you were communicating in this when you spoke to this young ruler, and you know exactly what you want to communicate today. And so, Father, I just uh, lift this time up to you. Pray, Father, that you would garrison this building with your angels that uh, we would have the freedom to hear and the, you would give me the freedom to speak and we'll trust you for the outcome of that. Amen. As we turn in uh, your Bible to Mark 10, we're starting in verse 17. Here's what's written. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. 
do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father, father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people, this is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will not receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children of the farm, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is Jesus now heading toward Jerusalem, marching toward his crucifixion, where at that stage, of his ministry. He's in the last, uh, uh, I don't know, few months actually really by this time and he's in, uh, he's on the east side of the Jordan and he's heading toward Jerusalem. He's in the land of Perea. Okay, and, he, and this young rich ruler, we, uh, in uh, Luke is where when you read the parallel stories in Matthew and Luke, Luke refers to him as a young, rich ruler. Okay? Uh, he was a ruler, not politically, but he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was someone who was in charge of the ministry of the synagogue, which was rare for a young person to be in that position. That was a position of high importance. It was a position of esteem. It was a position usually of experience by, one of the, by an elder. Uh, but this man had already ascended to that position in the religious, religious system. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a scribe. He was a lay person who was in charge of the worship at the synagogue. He was also wealthy. He possessed much land. He had status. He had clout. He had respect. And it's him who comes to Jesus and kneeling before him says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we know something else about this guy. He's empty. 
He's done what he could do and much faster than anybody else in pursuit of eternal life. He's gone through the religious system. But he finds that he still is unsure. He's, he doesn't have the confidence that this is enough. He wants to know, am I going to be okay? Am I going to enter into God's kingdom? And Jesus gives him an interesting answer. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said, you know the hoops? You know the religious hoops? This is what you must do. But he said this after addressing this young man's introduction. And that's where this whole, the foundation of this whole passage of Scripture lies. He comes to him and he says, good teacher. Good teacher. That word used there for good, there's, there's two words that are primarily used, uh, translated in our language as good. This one means good to the core. It means innate good innate goodness. It means through and through. It means everything about this is good, solid. There's another word that means it's good in appearance or it's good in behavior. This means good through and through. And it was a word that was used in description of God. And Jesus reiterated that. He said, why do you call me good? For no one is good but God alone. He doesn't give him time to answer, why do you call me good? He just says, you know what, you've come to the right place. You wouldn't call me good unless you saw something of God. Just like Nicodemus when he came to Jesus and he said, he said no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. This man, too, recognizes there is a quality about Jesus that is different. There's a quality about Jesus that, that, that cannot be explained apart from God. And he has no qualms about referring to him as good. So basically, Jesus is saying, you know what? Don't call me good unless you're going to call me God. That's why you've come. Because you see, this, this man came to the right person with the right question. But as we'll see, he goes away without receiving the answer. You see, he came to Jesus because he recognized the presence of God. And here's what God tells him. Keep the commandments. Easy enough. <laughs> Have you ever tried it? This guy says he did. You know, this guy says, you know what, I've been studying. You know, since I was a youth, I may have slipped up a little bit when I was a kid, but since my youth, I have kept these commandments. Probably the one about honoring your father and your mother. He probably 
you know, since my youth, um, I've kept these things. But did he? You know, here's what Jesus says to him. One thing you lack. There's one thing that you're lacking to enter eternal life. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. It's interesting. Jesus didn't say, hey, here's what you do. You pray this prayer. Here's what you do. You read these four spiritual laws and then come and talk to me later and I'll explain it to you. He didn't say, hey, let me explain the gospel to you. He said exactly what it takes. Follow me. Follow me. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this is not an indictment against wealthy people. This is God explaining. He's picking out a very common issue. And it's not just confined to this one thing. He's using this one thing, wealth, to illustrate the problem. You see, people get comfortable with their life in the world from the things they have from the world. People turn to things to bring contentment, to bring happiness, to bring peace, to bring security. Things other than God. What Jesus does here is he says, you know what? You think you've kept the commandments? Awesome. Except I'm going to reveal to you, you're not keeping the very first one. Thou shalt have no other God before you. This man had a God, an idol, that stood between him and God. His idol was his, his uh, status, which, which fed his pride, and his possessions, which kept him secure, this man had an idol that Jesus knew about and he spoke the truth in love. As it says in Ephesians, we're to, be, we're to speak the truth in love. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes, sometimes truth stings. When it zeroes in on a bruise or, or a blemish and all of a sudden it's revealed... It's not comfortable. And for this man, it was not comfortable. For this man, Jesus just said, you know what? You have an issue. Here's the issue. You're an idolater. But here's the remedy. Go tip over your idol and then come and follow me. You see, to be a Christian, that's a Christ follower. That's a disciple. That's someone who has said, you know what, God? I am banking on your promise of eternal life, and I'm going to trust you for this life too. But that's where people struggle. They're they're 
They're saying, God, I, I want to pray and ask you into my life. I, I, I trust you as my Savior, and I am really banking on you coming through with your promise upon my death. But until then, I'll manage things. <laughs> until then, you know, I'll figure out what I need to be okay. You see, that's what the world throws at us. This man, it was money. This man, it was his possessions and his pride. But there's many others. There's many other idols out there. There's relationships, unhealthy, uh, idolatrous relationships that we turn to for our okayness. There's possessions. There's jobs. There's positions, whether it be politically or in our company or whatever. There's neighborhoods. There's, there's, uh, there's titles that we look to for our validation. There's many, many, many things. There's abilities. All kinds of, of worldly measuring sticks by which we measure us and our okayness. And look at what happens here. When he tells him, he says, but at these words he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. This guy chose. He said, you know what? I, I can't. That's, that, that's too big of, of a, that's too big of an issue. That, you know, that you're asking me to walk away from my, from my reputation. You're asking me to walk away from my position. You're asking me to give away everything that I, that's been given to me uh, by which I, I have this position. That's too great of a cost. But remember, he had come acknowledging this is a man of God good teacher. It was right on the line. Jesus was right in front of him saying, follow me or go back to your life. And that's the decision for each and every one of us. But I don't want you to miss something else in there in verse 21. He says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. This is Jesus who knew exactly what his issue was. This is Jesus who knew exactly what he was going to choose. And he had love for him. He wanted, this is a man he had created. So he wasn't going to hold the truth back from him. He wasn't going to tell him, oh, well, just, just, uh, Say you believe in me and, and hang on and, and you can come in. Because that's not what it takes. It takes trusting him for this life. And look at what he promises. You know, his, his disciples were, were, were pretty amazed, it says. 
Uh, how, when he says how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, and they, they, it says they were amazed at his words, and he told them again how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. For it's, hard, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for an idolater, somebody who is focused on something of this world to enter the kingdom of heaven. They were astonished. Well then, who can, who can be saved? Who can do this? And he says, with man it's impossible. There's no hoops that you can, you can uh, successfully jump through that's going to get you to heaven into eternal life. He says, it isn't about what people can do. This is what I must do. And he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us on that cross, removing our sin, taking away every barrier that could keep us from eternal life. The only one that remains is will we trust him? He wants us to love him back. You cannot love without trust. You, it, it, it prohibits you. He says, will you trust me with the things that I've given you? Will you trust me with the things of this world? And he says, here's my promise. Not only will those who give up, who will let go of, who say, Lord, this is all yours. He's not asking everybody to, to, to remove everything and all the relationships from their life. He's saying, will you hold them loosely? Will you hold them out to me? Will you trust me with these relationships instead of you doing what you think you need to do to hang on to these things? Will you trust me with these things? And re remember what he said? Truly I say to you, there is no one who left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farm along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to have a hundred moms and a hundred dads and a hundred houses and imagine this one, a hundred kids. He's saying, I will multiply what you have. I will increase that which I have already given you. The relationship you have with your wife or your children or your brothers or your sisters or, or whatever, the relationship that you have now without me involved is this big. And that's all it can get. But you let me in. You give me that relationship, and I will expand it. I will increase it. I will bring it to depth. I will bring it to fruition. I will make it prosper. He says, whatever you hold loosely is open to my involvement 
to expand it. But if you're hanging on to it, you're shielding it from me. And you know what? Eventually, I'm probably going to have to take it from you because it's killing you. It's robbing you of your life. That's his promise. His promise is not, you know, hey, give me everything and you're going to live in poverty forever, but trust me, it's worth it in heaven. He's saying, no, give me everything and let me be your manager. Let me, let me show you how my life increases everything, everything. The issue here is idolatry. What are you hanging on to that you can't trust God with? That's the earmark of a Christian. Someone who says, you know what, Lord? Everything I have is yours. It's at your disposal. You can take everything and give it back. You can take everything and not give it back. It doesn't matter because this is not what I'm focused on for my life. You are my life. God is love. Love is of God. You are always going to be good. So whatever you ask me to do is not only for the benefit of serving others, but it's for my benefit. I trust you. That's what it's all about. God's asking him to give away the thing that caused him so much stress. We don't know what he would have done. It, we don't know what Jesus would have told him if he'd have said, oh, hey, give me a couple of Tell me where you'll be in a couple of weeks because it's going to take me that long to get rid of my stuff uh, and give it away. Where can I catch up with you? We don't know what Jesus' response may have been. It may have been, hey, you know what? You have demonstrated. You have what it takes. I want you to stay there. I want you to stay where you're at. I want you to stay in your position my Holy Spirit, which I will send in a, in a short while, will lead you into all truth. And you know what? He may have kept him in that position with all that he had and now a different motive for why he had it. We don't know that. We never hear from the guy again. But Jesus loved him even knowing he was going to walk away. And I want to challenge you... <sighs> God has put people in your life. They're looking for answers. Can they look to you and see that answer? Are you holding things loosely? Are you making things available to God? Being a Christian does not mean taking a vow of poverty. Being a Christian says, God, where do you want me to be? Give me what I need to be there and to operate in your goodness and benevolence or love or whatever from this position. That's the abundant life. But I want you to catch one other thing out of here. It's not going to be easy. Did you catch that in there? He listed off everything that if you give up, he said he's going to give back a hundred times. But there was a new thing on the list, persecutions. You see, that's the other thing about being a Christian. 
the world hates you. People don't like seeing you living in freedom of things. They don't like you living differently than they live. Light brings much damage to darkness. And we're told that the devil's going to try to snuff it out. He's going to try to put that bushel basket over us. That's persecution. It's not easy being a Christian. Jesus didn't want us to think, oh, well, making this decision to follow God, it's going to be all increase, easy sailing. Huh? He said, let's be realistic. You're a child of light living in a kingdom of darkness. You have an enemy. And you're going to have to deal with that enemy. But I'll be with you because I'm good. I will never leave you nor forsake you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. I'm good. All the time, I'm good. I'm the same yesterday, today, and yea, forever. I will not change. You are my child. He referenced them as children. You are my child, and my, I will always be with you, and I will always be good. Enjoy my goodness. But the only way, the only path to be on, to enjoy that goodness is when you're following him. He said, I will send my helper, the Holy Spirit, who will lead you into all truth. That means in every situation that you have going today, tomorrow, the next day if you get that day, the Holy Spirit will be, I am present at that moment to lead you, to guide you. That's following him. It's saying, you know what, Lord? I'd have taken a left because it seems easier, but you're asking me to go right, let's go right, even though it may bring a little bit of a, a trial. It's not just a one-time decision. It is for salvation, because that's what Jesus was talking to him about here. Salvation means I'm putting all my eggs in your basket. But abundant life is daily. It's every day following Jesus because every day he's in your world and every day he is good because he is God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, that you are so good. And your desire is not for us to, um, oh, to, to live in, in a way in which we experience none of the good things that you have in this world, just suffering uh, till we enter heaven on our hands and knees waiting for you to pick us up. That's not what you said. You said that our life would be abundant at your coming. I pray that we learn what that looks like, that we experience that on a daily basis. 
And Father, out of us would flow the fountain of living water, your truth. And we'll trust you for the outcome. Amen.